0: Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians, which is one of the many letters we have in the New Testament that was written by the Apostle Paul. Now, if Paul's letter to the Romans focuses more on God's works in the individual Christian, Ephesians includes those great themes of God's work in the church, in the community of believers. And I can't think of a better time to, as a church, as a community of believers, to come together and commit to reading this letter together. And I know you'll always hear me say as a pastor, we need to be reading our Bible more. But I don't know. There's something really special about when an entire congregation decides to go through a letter. Something special like when the first people in Ephesus got that letter from Paul, had it read in their midst, they began to memorize it, believe it, live it, let that word of God dwell them richly so let's pull out our bibles if we brought them so we can mark them up otherwise we can use the bulletin the screens will also magically appear as we look at our ephesians text today and go through it now this is truly interesting in greek which is the language the letter was originally written in ephesians 1 verses 3 all the way to 14 forms one long sentence Almost as if this is Paul's overture of some grand opera. He is setting the tone for all the melodies that will follow in his letter. But friends, as a former sixth grade slash eighth grade language arts teacher, I can tell you I've seen sentences like this before and they are difficult to dissect. So what I'm gonna try to do is take us through this because Paul is telling us all about this God-created, Christ-saved, spirit-blessed world into which we have been born into and are right now growing up in. And if sin has this tendency to shrink our imaginations and tries to make us contain God, The Apostle Paul counters here by just stretching our imagination and using this holy poetry to remind us of the vastness of God and to what he has done for us through his son Jesus and how we are now God's children. This text is lofty, it's poetic, but it also at the same time is very real and matters each and every day. Language that challenges us to be more but also meets us right where we at, is so, so good. And there are a ton of verbs in this one sentence. And I may not get to them all, because, you know, I've only gotten a lot of time of, what does Pastor Tim say, 47 minutes, something like that. I don't know. But we're going to look at a few of them because they show us truly what God has done for us. So Mr. Hector's got it up, and here we go. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That praise here at the beginning of this is also maybe better translated as, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Spurgeon said that we are not sitting here groaning and crying and worrying and questioning and trying to get our own salvation. God has blessed us and given it to us. It's plain and simple. And on account of this, Paul is going to direct our worship and our praise to the God who has given us everything, who has blessed us first. There is a reason Mr. Gieber chose for us songs that are full of joy and how it is well with our soul because of everything that God has done for us. And I love how Paul points us immediately to the heavenly blessings, the spiritual blessings. Spiritual blessings far outweigh material blessings. And heavenly blessings are higher, better, and more secure than any earthly blessing we have here. Now, we give thanks for our material blessings and our earthly blessings. They're more than we deserve, surely. But our thanks for spiritual blessings... How often are we thankful for those? Those need to be at the forefront of our eyes, our minds. Because a new heart is certainly better than a new car. To feed on Christ is better than all the bacon and eggs we can eat. I'm sorry, Ron Swanson. It's true. To be an heir of God is better than being a member of the most famous family on earth. To have God as our portion, to have him preparing a place for us is infinitely more blessed than owning a home even in our current market. We are not only blessed, but if you keep going, though, we are chosen. Chosen by God before we have done anything or have been anything for God. So certain is it that we are known and loved and seen by Him that before the foundation of the world, He chose you and I. Whenever we struggle with that feeling of, am I really good enough? Does anybody really care about me? Friends, come back to this Ephesians text. Because you did not get picked because there was nobody else, or you were just randomly selected. You were chosen because you are loved. You were chosen because your name is known and written in the book of life. The very creator of earth knows you and sees you. And not only does he choose you, but he gives you this purpose to be holy and blameless in his sight in love. And in your shortcomings, has covered you, made you holy and blameless by Christ's works On the cross. Keep going to verse 5, and you're adopted, adopted as a child of God. Now in Roman law, when the adoption was complete, it was fully complete indeed. The person who had been adopted had all the rights of a legitimate child in their new family and had nothing then to do with their family of old. In the eyes of the law, They were a completely new person, so new that any debt or obligations that were connected with their previous life were abolished as if they never existed. Meaning for us that on account of the adoption we have received through Jesus, all of our debts and obligation, all our sins and this futile effort to try to earn salvation has been done away with completely and we have been made new, given salvation and made free. Given to you, the text says, by grace freely to be accepted by the Father in the same way that he looks and sees and accepts Jesus. For those of you keeping score, we are three verses in and you already have been blessed. You have been chosen. You have a purpose. You have been adopted. You have been given forgiveness. You are loved. You are accepted. And that's Three verses in. It's overwhelming. Paul's not choosing random verbs because he likes verbs. He's not trying to hit a word count for the essay. What has been given to you is supposed to, in one sentence, hit you like an avalanche, completely and tremendously covering you. Seven to eight says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding, that him, of course, being Jesus. For we know and we confess that there is no possible redemption outside of Jesus Christ. But if you will remember, redemption always implies that a price is being paid for the freedom that is purchased. Jesus did not redeem us by his sinless life, though he lived without sin. Jesus did not redeem us by his moral example, but only by his death in our place, by his blood. Not through his power, through his blood. Not through his love, but through his blood. And through his blood, we do not receive some salvation. Just enough to get us started, and then you're kind of on your way. Or once you hit this spot, then you get it. It is a full covering that is lavished on us, all because of God's grace. And you might look and say, that sounds a little bit foolish to give so much without requiring something in return, especially to guilty sinners. But our God knows this and understands this, and in wisdom, Wisdom has done that. On account of the fullness of Jesus, we have received grace in place of grace already given, and that is God's wisdom. Not foolishness, not an accident, not a misunderstanding, but wisdom. Nine to 10 say, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. God's great and glorious plan that was once hidden, hidden because how was he going to fulfill that promise made in Genesis 3 when the world fell to sin is revealed in Jesus. And he is happy to tell us this. Even though he's been telling us and pointing us all along, at the right time through the life and death of resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is now known fully and completely. We no longer have to be like Michael Scott, who loves inside jokes and hopes to be a part of one day. We, we know, we're on the inside. Inside not to a joke, but to the very gospel message, the good news that we are called to go forth and share God has revealed everything to us, made known the extent of his love and the work that he is doing in our lives. Remember, it was Jesus in the upper room who said that I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's bidding. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I had learned from my Father I have made known to you. To bring unity to all things. So that despite our differences, we can come together united in Christ. Despite our brokenness, our separatedness, we share Christ and his restorative hope that brings healing. We share not gloom and doom, but we share peace and live in love. For verse 11 says, In him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in christ might be for the praise of his glory now i know it's fun and i love to talk about predestination as much as the next guy but i got to tell you i think the human concept or at least the logical conclusion of predestination ignores the fact that god is loving and desires all people to be saved This side of heaven, we're not going to be able to understand what that looks like. And that's not a cop out, friends, that's just a fact. But I will address it so that our consciences can still maintain this certainty that we believe. If you wonder if you are saved, you wonder if anything you do matters, because before you were even born, your fate was sealed. Wondering, were you born for some glorious purpose or to fail? Were my Loki fans, one more episode. I know you're excited. I think that makes for an entertaining show, but ignores everything that we know about our Lord. And maybe that's the key here to help you when it comes to getting caught up in predestination. When you worry about or try to figure out, you do spend a lot of time thinking about yourself. And you start to forget what is most important. What's most important is the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. We're called not to cling to the fate that we have or think we have. We're called to be clingers to the cross of Christ. For the cross is smarter and better and grander than our mind or logic is ever going to be. I mean, really, when you get past that one word in this section here, is this not much more about how God is working out everything all for His purpose. Every detail, every moment. And I don't know how God can work out every single detail of the universe, but Scripture tells us He does. And you are left to choose between randomness and indifference or choosing to hold to that certainty of the cross that everything is part of God's plan, that no matter what happens, He is guiding it back for good. And on top of that, we who have put our hope in Christ are what he will point to and boast about. We are the praise of his glory. Friends, that's the community version of that Romans 8.28 where all things work to the good of those who love him. This is all things in the world are working according to God's purpose. And if Paul and the other apostles boasted in their congregations, how amazing is it to see our God turning down and boasting in you. Proud of you. Smiling at you. Like a father does over his child. And working to bring you into the likeness of his son. 13 says you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation when you believed. Marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. That's the only place in the New Testament when they talk about that sort of deposit guarantee. It's always about the Holy Spirit until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This conclusion to the sentence is by far my favorite part, if that's allowed in God's word. We have this staggering revelation that God is actively involved Within us and working in this world to bring forth his plan through Jesus. And as we're experiencing this avalanche, right, this avalanche of everything coming to us, we get to find out that not only are we we are no longer spectators to it, but we get to participate in the redemption. We will participate in the resurrection life of Jesus. Now as we live as new believers and even in the life to come. All the conditions. That are needed to live this new life have been given to us through Jesus. Have been prepared for us before the very foundation of the world. And the deposit, the guarantee, the Spirit who brings us to the Father now enables us to live for the Father. That sealing of the Holy Spirit isn't some feeling inside of you or some mysterious inward experience. That's the promise given to you at your baptism. You remember, right? Receive the sign of the cross both upon your forehead and upon your heart to mark you. Mark you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. Mark you as one who belongs to the Lord. And one who belongs here with your brothers and sisters in Jesus. One faith, one baptism, one spirit. Not alone, but standing. Together on Christ, the fide one. Our God sure does a lot for us in one sentence. And to recap, if you were circling all those verbs, hopefully you circled that he has blessed us, chosen us, adopted us, forgiven us, loved us, accepted us, redeemed us, made himself known to us, unites us, takes joy in us, includes us, gives us an inheritance and makes us a community. A family. The text doesn't say choose the one that you want or utilize one of these when you need to like a tool in a tool belt. These are lavished upon you. Given without limit. Given fully and completely. And as you sit there now and reflect on this text throughout the week and as we go through it as a congregation, I hope it moves in you. And when you let that this abundance of love and gifts from the Father consume you, you may find yourself wondering, well, what do I do with all this? What can I possibly give in response to this? I'll take you back to John 15 where Jesus called us friends. He said, you're my friends when you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because what? A servant doesn't know his master's business. You're friends for everything I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, Jesus says, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. My command is to love one another. When the opportunity comes to curse or slander, choose to bless that person instead. When the opportunity comes, Seek out ways to be hospitable. To have a home where everyone feels welcome. Choose to reach out and bring others into your home, your church. Invite them into relationship with you in your life. When you see the children and the most vulnerable who have nothing, don't turn away. But choose to join us here in the mission of St. John's to help. As my friend Jessica likes to say, everyone can do something for these children. When you have a chance to really stick it to someone this week, choose to forgive them. When you have a chance this week to condemn someone, cast them out, why don't you instead choose to sit with that tax collector or sinner? You get the chance to witness this week, don't be afraid, do it, even if you fail. When you have a chance to store up and make a really nice barn, don't store up for yourself, but generously give and take joy in your lot in life wherever you are because there's only one of you and your God sees you and loves you. Now is the time. No better place to be than right here in this community as we are connecting, growing, and sharing together. So if you haven't found that way to get involved with your church, come and worship with us each week. Come and serve alongside us. And spend some time in God's word with us as we look at this wonderful letter to the Ephesians.